Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today's episode 99, creeping up on those triple digits, baby. 100 on deck next week. Got a great guest lined up for you. A very insightful, fun, meaningful conversation for me. I cannot wait for you guys to hear that one. Prepare yourselves. Maybe a little bit on the longer side, but well worth it, I'm telling you. Uh, This week, though, episode 99, we got Martin Truex Jr. snapping his streak in the desert. Some Atlanta worn-out surface to preview. Plus, as you see, Grant Paulson of DC Sports Media fame. He's our guest this week. You may be saying, how is he related to NASCAR? Well, stick around and you will find out. But before that, we're paying homage to a certain backflipping driver in the number 99. Let's hear from Pops. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to today's look back at number 99. 1,113 starts for the 99 and 48 wins, 40 of which came from the two drivers we're highlighting today. The first of those is Carl Edwards. Cousin Carl had 28 wins over his 13-year 445 race career, 23 of which came in the 99. He may be known for his signature backflip after his victories, but he was one heck of a hard-nosed racer. Just ask Brad Keselowski, who Edwards had a legendary on-track feud with that got downright dangerous and personal before NASCAR had to step in and tell both drivers to cool it. He finished second in the championship standings in 2008 and 2011, but that latter one was especially hard to swallow as Tony Stewart came virtually out of nowhere to take the cup on a tiebreaker that year. I'm not sure Edwards ever really got over it, and I still think to this day it had something to do with his decision to walk away from the sport, which he did after the 2016 season. Raise your hand if you felt sure Edwards would be back in a NASCAR ride before too long. Mine's in the air. If yours isn't, I'm calling you out on it. The other wheel man we give kudos to today is Jeff Burton. 293 of Burton's races and 17 of his wins came in the 99 car. Burton and Edwards share history in the 99 as Edwards took over that Jack Roush ride from Burton after the mayor moved over to Richard Childress Racing in 2004. As much as there is to discuss about Burton's racing accomplishments, perhaps his greatest contribution to the sport was, and continues to be, his strong advocacy for safety improvements. Without Burton's voice, I'm not sure how long it would have taken for things like safer barriers or Hans devices to gain traction in the garage and become mandatory. It's impossible to know how many drivers literally owe their lives to Burton's zeal for their collective safety, but I'm sure there are a bunch of them. 
That's all for today. I can't believe we'll be celebrating 100 podcasts next week. Where has the time gone? Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Looking forward to seeing what you got in store for triple digits next week. Let's start this episode off, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned reggaeton! As I mentioned, people, Martin Truex Jr. snaps his winless streak, wins at Phoenix, his 31st start at the track, and he gets it done finally. He'd been pretty close before, but was never able to get it done. So let's hear from the man, the myth, the legend himself. This is actually after a funny answer of him admitting that he's doing the Bristol Dirt Race. Uh, So that's why I started this question the way I did. On what the difference was today, Sunday as it were, specifically compared to the 30 previous times. I don't know if I could follow that one up, but uh, Martin, it took you 31 (laughs) tries to get a win here. What had been the problem in the past for you and what the difference today specifically? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I think there's been times throughout the years where I felt like uh, we were really close, you know. Um, I remember back, like, in 07, I led a bunch of laps here and, um, you know, felt like the car to beat. And then towards the end of the race, I think everybody pitted and we stayed out as the leader. And we were the only one that stayed out and we finished, like, fifth or sixth on old tires. So, um, and then, you know, in, in DI days, I ran pretty good here at times. Uh, I think it was 17 or 18, ran maybe ran, ran second to Kansas here. We were really strong, led a bunch, faded a little bit late. It just depends really, you know, Davey, just to answer your question, it depends a little bit on the season, the package, the, you know, you name it. I mean, this place has been through so many changes. And, you know, you think 31 races, uh, different cars, different, you know, packages, different rules and different tires and different track configurations. I mean, there's been a lot of changes throughout those years for me, different teams, obviously. So, um, been different, you know, different things at different times, you know, um, you know, right now, you know, for us, we just focused really on, you know, this package, uh, of rules package with this car in, you know, in the past few times that we've been here, which is really all we can go off of. So a lot has changed over the years to answer your question, but, uh, what changed from last year, to this year was just focusing on this particular package and, and what we had to do here to make it better. And, um, you know, honestly, I've, I probably had cars that felt better than what I had today, you know, but with the track being the way it is, this tire wearing out and the track getting as slick as it is, um, we were good enough to win. And that's really what it's all about. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, a moving target in this sport. Everything is everywhere we go every week. It's different. You know, James talked about rule changes in the off season. Nobody even knows about them. They're so small, but they make it a big difference, you know? Um, and that's, that's what this sport is. It's always changing. You're always searching for speed and searching for, uh, you know, how you can be better in the competition. How about now a two-time winning crew chief at the Cup Series level, James Small, from down under in Australia, mate. That was pretty bad, but I did it in my TikTok this week. It was a little bit better. It's been difficult to get a handle on things from his perspective with COVID, no practice, no qualifying as a second-year crew chief. And to win this early on in the season, it's good for morale. It's good for the team. It's good for planning. You know, I, I just don't think people understand how hard it is, you know, with no practice and, and to try and be perfect every week. And, you know, it takes a lot of, you know, effort, a lot of refinement, everything we can do just to, you know, be good off the truck. And, you know, sometimes you miss it. Like today, we, we started bad. You know, some of our assumptions are off. But, you know, we tried a lot of different things this time. You know, we got back from Phoenix last year and, and we sucked. We finished 10th. We weren't happy with how we ran. 
And, you know, Jazzy and I started working straight away, you know, the week after on, on what we're going to do to get better. And, you know, all off season we've worked on that. And I really, you know, once we got the car balance right today, you know, I think you really saw it pay dividends for all the work we put in and, and changes we've made. So hopefully, you know, come, you can be back here in the final four and, and you know, we can work it harder again and get it better again. So Truex wins. Joe Gibbs Racing put three of their four drivers inside of the top 10. Another strong day for them. Team Penske led a boatload of laps, Logano and Keselowski in specific, and Ryan Blaney also won stage one. Hendrick Motorsports was up front. Kyle Larson came from the back to the front, not once, not twice, but thrice. So he was one to watch, and uh, I'm sure that they all will be fast this week in Atlanta too. Let's move down to Xfinity though. Austin Sendrick wins again at Phoenix, won there last time in November. He gave some thoughts, and so did the other cup drivers. They pretty much agree with this sentiment about the application of the PJ1 that was put down in the corners at Phoenix. Yeah, it was simply different. It was probably a little less usable today. Uh, the track was a little bit narrower. Um, whether that has to do with the amount of races that have run before us, you know, granted in the fall we had a truck race before our race, and um, the, the temperature was a little warmer as well. So. Um, there's a few factors, and, and like everyone, I think we're all learning what this traction compound does and, and how, it, um, how it comes on, how it fades, and, and, and where your strengths and weaknesses have to be. Um, so I, I feel like I was a little bit handicapped by that today, um, that it wasn't in as much as it, what it was in the fall. But like I said, just, just good notes for the, for, for the time we come back. How about Ty Gibbs? He, the man just does not stop. I mean, he is impressing every single weekend he's out on the racetrack. Finished second to Cinderk on Saturday in the Xfinity race, but won the ARCA race on Friday. Shocker, I know. He's going to win like 10 of the 20 races this year, maybe even more. Let's hear from him on the closing stages of the General Tire 150 in the ARCA race on Friday, holding off Corey Heim for Venturini Motorsports. It just depends kind of how we restarted. Um, here's, this place is really sensitive to how you restart on the, on the starts of the green or when you come back to the green. So I uh, luckily got away from him the last one and um and and, and set sail cleaner it was a pretty big deal tonight um and that was a big key kind of staying in the front the whole time and, and keeping your car in clean air and saving um your front tires you don't want to get too tight you know you, you, you got to make sure you're rotating in three and four and you're rotating off of one and two so um you know just just uh 20 cars pretty good i think we still had him covered probably by a good amount you know kind of I saw where he was running, kind of saw his weaknesses and how he drove the car. And I feel like I was better in some, some situations and I could carry um, speed in different areas where he couldn't. So it was a, we had a good car. And how about his father and team owner in some respect, Coy Gibbs? We actually haven't been able to hear from him yet since Ty won his first Xfinity race in his start and now finished second, is winning ARCA races everywhere you go. So after Truex won on Sunday, he was made available to the media and he joked about his son messing it up on Saturday afternoon, finishing second to Cindric for a Joe Gibbs Racing clean sweep. Yeah, he, he totally screwed the weekend up. If he would have won yesterday, then we would have won them all. So I blame him for that. No, he's he's doing good. He he's um I don't know. You know, growing up watching him, watching him grow as a driver, probably since he's like twelve, you think he's pretty good, but you don't really know. Um, and then you start throwing him in these divisions and and he's performing so it's exciting to watch it's exciting as a father um i think it helps going through it um watching my brother go through it screw it all up watching myself go through it screw it all up um i feel like i can at least guide his path a little bit and hopefully 
you know, he could be successful at it. That was Coy Gibbs with Joe Gibbs Racing. Phoenix was okay. I mean, it wasn't great. It wasn't amazing. It didn't knock my socks off. I hope that they do something. I don't know what, but something with the application of PJ1 when they come back for championship weekend. I don't know what, but I just hope that they do something so it's a little bit better and there's room for a little bit more passing. Again, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, but championship race, it should be and it will be better. Interview time. Grant Paulson's on the show this week from DC's 106.7 The Fan, The Athletic, NBC Sports Washington, the voice of the Washington Valor, and more. You guys may not know him if you're hardcore NASCAR fans listening, which if you got this far, I know you are. Shout out to all you guys. Kathleen especially. I know you always tweet me you're listening. I love you, Kathleen. Um, But Grant is an interesting fella. I did not know that he was into NASCAR the way he was until... I saw his name next to me in the Richmond Raceway press box. And I was like, this can't be Grant, can it? So we started talking and turns out he is super into it. So much so that we've developed a relationship now. He texts me all these questions and all these takes he has about his boy, Eric Jones. And from a new perspective of a fan that's legitimately like super into it, I find this conversation really, really fascinating. And I say it like every guest we have. This is one of the best ever. I love this conversation. This is different, but I loved it because as I told him in the chat, you get so in tune with the NASCAR bubble and looking at all the intricate details and nitpicking this and saying, I hate this, but I love this. It can't change, whatever. He has a totally fresh perspective on things from a very respected media side of things. And to hear his perspective, not as media, but as a fan on all these different things was really cool and different. And I think you guys will enjoy that almost as much as I did, hopefully. So without further ado, here is the man Grant Paulson on Victory Lane. A little bit of a different guest this week, but he has something in common with some prior guests. He is an NASCAR fan, little did you know. He does listen to this podcast, little did you know. And he's a friend of mine, Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan, The Athletic, NBC Sports Washington, The Valor, and more. I probably forgot like 10 gigs that you have, but people in NASCAR may not know who you are, Grant, but people in the D.C. area, they listen to you, they see you, they of course know who you are. Thank you for coming on. I feel like this has been in the making for a few months, but it's also kind of like an upset of the century. I did not expect you to listen to Victory Land or come on, but I'm happy about it. Well, I appreciate it, and I, I mean it. I think you do a great job. I think the show's awesome. And, yeah, I am a new NASCAR fan as of oh, yeah. last season, which I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, I love it. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I watch every weekend and kind of study up on it during the week, and it's become a, a fun thing for me. But as I told you, you said I should come on, and I thought, well, that's not going to be a good thing. You're for like, I don't know what I can add, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't add anything, but I you, you built it. I came. So here we are. I what think you, you underestimate yourself because, and I'll admit too, you know, like when I first met you in person at the track and I was talking to you, I was like, oh, he's a new fan. Like he's getting to know stuff, which is true. But then you start pulling out like, oh yeah, what was AJ Allmendinger doing running for Colic and partial Xfinity? And I'm like, I was like, yeah, I'm an Eric Jones guy. I'm like, what? This guy knows his stuff. So even though you've started watching relatively recently, like, you know your stuff more than most people, I would say. 
Well, I'll say this. As a sports fan, I don't really dip my toe into the deep end, right? I jump in. And so what happened was when COVID hit last year and there were no sports, when things started to come back and there weren't sports on, I was kind of Amazon primed and Netflixed out. Like I had binged and I had done a bunch of TV shows and I'm a big documentary guy. So it was great to catch up on a lot of docs that I wanted to watch, but I wanted sports. I wanted live sports. And over the years at different points in my life, I always kind of get into the Daytona 500. Like I mm-hmm. would watch the masters or something, you know, sports that I'm, I'm casually interested in right. just as an observer. But I'd never really gotten in on NASCAR. And, and over the years, I mean, I'm sure like everyone else, I dismissed it or it was an eye roll or they just turned left or, you know, made the same jokes as everyone else. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, when I started watching when they relaunched, first I fell in love with the broadcasts on Fox. I thought that they did such a good job and I just learned so much. And there was just a lot of information. And I, I thought it was really presented well. And I picked the driver before it started and we can go through how, but I kind of went through this detailed like thing of how I'll find my driver. And as you said, I picked Eric Jones and yeah, I had a blast with it, but it was one of those things where before I knew it, I was reading up on it all week and I was watching Xfinity on Saturdays and it, yep. it was, re- my wife couldn't believe it. Like, cause for her, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a, I obviously cover the NFL. And I'm a huge football fan. It's my number one sport. But like when the season ends, we get our Sundays, we get our weekends back. So she's thinking like, we'll go to parks with our kids or we'll do. And now all of a sudden our schedule's revolving around these races. So (laughs) she's actually gotten into it with me too. She doesn't really religiously. Yeah. She's a big Kevin Harvick fan. Okay. But, uh, but she's what much more casual, like she'll come around for the last 10 laps and joke about him being way up front and Jones being way wherever he is in the back. (laughs) Um, But yes, we've had a lot of fun and, and she Jones on me a little bit for how into it I am. So you so you got into it at the start of the pandemic, and like you mentioned, you you were aware of it. You casually watched it for I don't know the last decade or so, give or take. But the pandemic kind of really accelerated that for you. And when we first met in person outside of work at NBC Sports Washington, it was last year at Richmond because I got to the press box, which is the only place that you could be for media still, and I sat down. And I see Grant Paulson, 106.7, the fan, is like seated next to me. This is on, I think, Friday for Xfinity. And I was like, okay, there's only one Grant Paulson from 106.7, but it can't be Grant. Like, there's no what? What? So I DM'd you on Instagram and I was like, hey, man, like, haven't talked to you in a while. Are you coming to Richmond for the NASCAR race tomorrow? And you were like, oh, yeah, I'm jacked up. Can't wait. I'm like, what? What? Okay, you got to connect some dots from here. Like, what is going on? So it's not just that you watch it. I mean, you've been to races since the pandemic started, albeit, you know, covering it as media. But, I mean, we know living here, like 106.7, they don't have a robust NASCAR coverage, and they're not going to use anything because they don't need it. But you were there, and it was fun to see. Yeah, so with with our site, I've done a couple of interviews just to kind of scratch the itch for myself and and to actually, quote, unquote, like make good on, on getting the credential. Jeremy Kimbrough was a former football player. Actually, I covered with the Washington football team who uh, has transitioned into being on a pit crew. And he was named one of the, the star uh, members of a pit last year. He was cool. uh, actually on Kurt Busch's crew. And I talked to him, had his great conversation for 20 plus minutes. And, and he thinks that a lot of former athletes 
that leave games like football should get into this. Uh, he was a big NASCAR fan as a kid through his dad. But his point was you still have the ability to be part of a team. Your athleticism still matters as you're jumping over the wall. And mm -hmm. so I did a cool interview with him and a couple of people kind of leading up to and around the race. And yeah, I, I, I was asked if I wanted to check it out and talk about it on the show and, and had a, a nice segment on it. But um, yeah, for me, I have been to races before only a couple times. Uh, I have only ever been to Richmond. That's the only track I've been to. I have gone out of convenience once when I was down there and I went one time with a buddy and, and walked um, through like, uh, you know, some of the things you can do down in the infield and, and pit pass. And it was mm -hmm. one of the most amazing experiences ever, but it would have meant a lot more if it was now while yeah. I'm into it and have some information and some knowledge on some of these drivers. But to go back just to the specifics of the beginning, I first start watching and I imagine it being just a casual thing. Like, okay, it's on tonight. I'll check this out. And what really helped me was initially when they relaunched and they were going twice a week, it was like Sunday and Wednesday nights, essentially. Yeah. And so it gave that there was enough consistency for me as a sports fan with that built in clock of there's a hockey game, there's a basketball game every few days where you're not waiting all week long. So that I, it gave me something to look forward to. And I, I, okay, Wednesday night, we got a race. And then Sunday there's another race and I'm learning about each track. Cause I don't really have any Intel on the tracks. And so for me, there was a lot of digging and researching happening, going into it. By the end of the, the season, we'd had a couple drivers on the show, including Ryan Blaney, which was mm -hmm. cool. Um, but now it is a situation where if I'm not watching every single lap, I'm DVRing and rewinding and, uh, I, I didn't think it was going to be hardcore. I thought, kind of thought like same reason I started watching mixed martial arts a little more. It's on TV and nothing else is. But uh, I think I'm here to stay, man. I've really, really dug it. Created a monster. You do realize that when NASCAR came back racing, you know, obviously a lot of it was because they needed to get a lot of races in quickly. But you are the type of person that they were aiming for. And they hit you right on, right on the mark. Because for the past few years, too, like, their target demographic, they've been looking for like the 18 to 25 crowd, getting those people more involved, but they've been looking for new fans across the board and they're saying, how do we do that? Do we go to new tracks? Do we race at different times? You know, do we change the cars? Do we change the schedule? All these different things, which COVID forced them to do to a certain extent and even, you know, not changing the drivers, but some had positive COVID tests. So they had to get out of the car and all these different elements. So in a way, you know, whether you know it or not, you're the type of fan, sports fan, that they have been trying to get for years. And it just so happened that a pandemic kind of accelerated that for them. So I'm sure if they were listening, they would say, you know what? Mission accomplished. Thank you. I think you're right. And I hope there are a lot of people like me, genuinely, who maybe either were ignorant of, you know, what all went into it and how cool of a sport this really is and or new, you know, I would watch the races occasionally, but just never got fully invested. Yeah. And then this gave you the opportunity to as a reset where there wasn't a whole lot of other shows in town. Mm -hmm. And you realize just how neat this is. And I would advocate, I don't have to do it on this podcast. People listening are obviously big fans, yeah. but I do, I have on my show and I have with people I've talked to. There's just so much that goes into it. I, I think first and foremost on TV in high definition, it looks amazing. It's aesthetically pleasing. It's gorgeous. I love night races with sparks under the cars. But, I, you know, the paint jobs that change every week yeah. fascinate me. I think that's cool. So I'm not sure there's a more aesthetically pleasing television sport, honestly. 
But on top of that, I, I love the access to the drivers. And I know that you have to do that if you're a driver in a, in a sport where you're your own company, so to speak. But I listen to, you know, whether it's NASCAR radio or podcasts like yours, and these guys are always out there. Now, I'm following some of them on social media and some of them. Corey LaJoy's got his own podcast. And yep. like you get to know these guys pretty well uh, in a way that with other sports, maybe you don't. Another thing I want to commend them on. And I will say that, you know, one of the things I was probably ignorant of is, is I I always looked at NASCAR and I thought, I just don't know how inclusive or, or how, you know, broad reaching that sport is. And one of the things that really hooked me when I started watching last year was I thought they did an amazing job, not only getting through the pandemic, but during a critical time in the country with everything that was going on. Absolutely. And that really allowed me to jump all the way in, you know, with everything that went on with, with Bubba Wallace last year and the way that, you know, they, they pushed his car out and he became a, a bigger star than he'd been previously, but the support he got seeing the mm -hmm. family that kind of the whole sport was, was moving to me. And even from the standpoint of all the way up to the top, by getting rid of some of the Confederate flags and some of the things that they did last year, some of the uh, ceremonies they had before they would start the races. You know, a lot of those things changed my perception on what the sport is and kind of how I thought about NASCAR. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. I thought uh, it was really sharp. And I'll just speak for myself. It made me way more comfortable kind of getting all in and saying, you know what? This isn't what everyone jokes about it being. And uh, all of the, that confluence of things kind of all at once really allowed me to thoroughly enjoy it in a way that I didn't appreciate, didn't expect. Yeah, it's it's really good that you said that because, you know, like me, I'm so in it and I've been so in it for years, right? So everything that I see, I look at under a microscope and like, yeah, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. But seeing it from your perspective, which is, you know, obviously so into sports, but hadn't gone fully into NASCAR and racing specifically. And then, like you said, in this time where, I mean, in probably a five to seven day span, NASCAR made more progressive changes than they have in 50 years. And that's yeah. not even an exaggeration. And to see them do that and them knowing that it will alienate a portion of their fan base, but they're doing that because they know it's the right thing to do and it's going to be on the right side of history when you look down the road in a year, two, five, ten years, that I think is what made them so look at looked at so positively in the sports landscape, especially for new fans and and fans of color that came in and said, "Oh, NASCAR, maybe I am welcome here." Like, "Oh, they got a black driver. That's cool. Didn't know that. There's nothing else to really watch right now. Let me start." And that that's a lot of it. And you're in that group as well because, as we mentioned, you had watched before that when the pandemic started coming back at Darlington and everything. But at that point, it seems like you still weren't all the way in, like you're feeling it out. You're saying, okay, like I'm liking this. I'm, I'm understanding it more, but those preconceived notions, rightly so were still there because that's how the sport is portrayed in the mainstream. But as you saw, it's totally different. And the way I would even say it was, I kind of was all in. Cause like I said, I jump into the deep end with my fandom. Like, I'm never going to say I, like, casually like years ago when I, I didn't have a college football team, I went to George Mason university in Fairfax and they don't have a college football team. So you know, I, I had to, I wanted to pick a team. This has been several years. And I said, well, I'm going to get into Georgia. Well, I, I wasn't just going to casually watch Georgia like a couple times. Like I'm going to learn the roster and know everything. You're going to become a dog. Be, 
Right, like of the biggest Georgia fan, right? Yeah. So my point is I did the same thing with NASCAR. But there was, and it's almost weird to say, but I, it, not that it was uncomfortable, but all of my preconceived notions is smart about the sport and, and kind of saying I'm a NASCAR guy, like what that means. People then assume different things about you and your fandom. But when I saw the way that when you're actually watching and invested, and as you said, a lot of this is new and fresh and different maybe than over the years. But mm -hmm. the way that they were treating what was going on in the country and, and giving it not only its attention, but more importantly, trying to push the story forward and make changes and help. I was really, really impressed. And I felt better about being able to throw my weight. There's a lot of weight here. Throw my weight <laughs> behind NASCAR. I felt really good about it. And... Uh, and it did. It, it 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 just added to it. You know, it went from those first couple races thinking Mike Joy was unbelievable at what he did and liking some of the nuances like crank it up and some of those things yeah. to really feeling like, OK, this is something I can get all in with, I think. That's really fascinating perspective. So that, thank you for sharing that, because that, as you said, like and, and I want to talk about this, too. You know, we would text during races, after races. And, you know, I, I wanted to see what you thought from a new perspective and stuff. And one of the things I found interesting was that, you know, all these fans are clamoring for more short tracks, some more road courses, super speedways are great. Um, and even the Richmond race that we were both at last year, from my memory, it was pretty boring, all things considered. But I remember that race and even some other ones throughout the year that to, to you know, hardcore fran fans that you are now, they would say, oh, this is boring, bad race, you know, one groove, not a lot of cautions, whatever. And you'd see a race at Bristol or Martinsville or, you know, Watkins Glen that you actually haven't seen yet. Um, and you'd be like, wow, that's amazing. But uh, and I don't think you did this, but like a random 500 mile race at Texas, you would text me and be like, this is amazing. And I'm like, what are you watching? This is awful. So it's interesting to see your perspective being a newer fan and not having these preconceived notions of mile and a half racing is boring, one lane, one groove. You like it all, but you seem to like interesting things that the hardcore fans may dislike. So a couple of things. I think for me, what I enjoy most is the tracks where it seems like anybody's got a shot. And so at some of these super speedways, like yeah. all of a sudden, Ricky Stenhouse is running in the top five, you know, and I'm going, <laughs> what are we doing here? And and there is this conversation that happens before the race you know, or during the race about how certain drivers race better at certain tracks, obviously. Yeah. But like Ryan Priest is suddenly a contender. How is that happening? You know, yeah. most of the season he's running 23rd and now all of a sudden that's a good race for him. And today he's going to be running six for a lot of it. I like the races where everyone's got a shot. My perception, and you can coach me up on this, is that on some of those super speedways, some of those wide open you know, tracks, that it waters down the playing field a little bit. And the, the, maybe the equipment or the caliber of the car or some of the things that generally don't give you a chance don't matter as much. Now, I also think, and I'll admit, I picked Eric Jones as my favorite driver, and we can get into him, I'm sure, at some point. But by being a big fan of Jones's last year in the 20 car, uh, it was not a great season for him, clearly, and he ended up losing his ride, and he's no longer with Gibbs Racing. But he was – a contender at those tracks and oftentimes that other tracks was not. So that may have been a factor, but I just think that it is more entertaining when I turn on a race generally 
And I don't know that Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin are going to run one, too. Yeah. And that has not been the case this year. And I think it's been an incredible season for that reason. Maybe that was a little bit of a fluke when I jumped in last year. But by and large, I could have told you at the start of every race for the second half of last year, seven of the top 10 guys yeah. at a lot of those tracks. But when you go, you know, you're three wide banging on each other at Talladega coming down the stretch and, and Blaney and is putting Jones into the wall. I mean, to me, that was just a little bit more exhilarating. I love the restarts at those mm -hmm. big tracks so with all the speed and the fact that you can go from first to 14th based on being in the wrong lane. Like, I really found a lot of that interesting. So two things there. I, I really find this interesting because the second part of what I'm going to tell you is like completely the opposite of what you said for purists, which is interesting. So, you know, on Daytona and Talladega, as you know, super speedways, right? They're in the pack. They're drafting. Every, everybody's close together. So a mistake by, you know, a quarter of an inch for one guy could have ramifications for everybody. You saw that on lap 15 of the Daytona 500 this year, right? Big one wipes out 17 contenders, right? And most of those, it was no fault of their own. And the reason that they're so close is because NASCAR has a specific package that they run on the super speedways that restricts airflow to the engine. They used to have something called a restrictor plate, but now it's called a tapered spacer. That's like a nuance, but... Essentially, they limit the horsepower that the engine can create on those tracks because if they didn't, they'd be going dangerously fast, like over 200, like 210, 220, and that's a hazard to the drivers, the teams, the fans. Um, I'm sure like you may have like gone on YouTube and seen some of these insane crashes, like cars flying into the catch fence, hurting yeah. fans, like that type of thing. So that's the first thing. The second part, and you mentioned about the restarts, how they're crazy, not just on super speedways, but... Even this past weekend at Phoenix, I mean, the dog yeah. leg people going all like the way to the wall. Out, like uh, a movie Fast and the Furious running yeah. from the police or something. It was crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. But the interesting thing, and again, you you don't know this because you recently started watching, but the current aerodynamic rules package that they have, Phoenix is a little bit different, but for mile and a half tracks, they have, Dale Earnhardt Jr. calls it the big ass spoiler on the back of the car and yeah. a ton of downforce. So there's less horsepower, more downforce, which means the cars are more sunk into the racetrack. They have a ton of grip and they're not super out of control. So it takes a little bit of the driver's skill away in the grand scheme of things. But the restarts are crazy because everybody is trying to get up to speed, get the momentum because because of the big ass spoiler, momentum is crucial. So for the first five to 10 laps, it is crazy. Free for all, three, four wide, sometimes beating and banging right. But after that, it kind of levels out and drivers are staying close together, which is what NASCAR wanted when they designed this package. So they're close together up front. But throughout the pack, there's not a lot of passing because, and again, this is in the nuance, but imagine you're on, you're on the water and you're in a boat, right? There's a boat in front of you and their wake is creating a difficulty for you to pass that boat. It's the same thing with racing, especially on mile and a half. So a track like Texas comes to mind. You may see it this weekend at Atlanta, but it may be different because of the tire wear. But, you know, when a car gets in another another car's wake, it's so hard to get by, whether on the inside or the outside, past that air bubble and past them. Some drivers compare it to like, you know, you are clearly faster than the guy in front of you. Like, I, like last year at Kansas was a prime example. Kevin Harvick was three tenths of a second faster a lap, which is an eternity in NASCAR, than Joey Logano. But when he got to his bumper, he could not get by. And Logano described it as having, or Harvick described it as having like a beach ball connected to Logano's bumper. And right. Harvick, whenever he got to the bumper, 
couldn't get by that beach ball, couldn't punch the hole in the air enough to get by Logano to win the race. So, you know, you're saying these restarts are crazy. The racing is crazy. It's like three, four wide unpredictability at the start. All the purists will come back and say, that's bad because they would rather see a totality of racing throughout the event where there's passing, you're able to pass easily and the best car could win, which usually does happen. But a lot of people just say, yeah, the racing here is good for on restarts for like two, three laps and then it's done. So I find that perspective extremely fascinating. In other sports, I'm largely probably a purist, like the sports that I grew up playing and loving. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of on the reverse side of it, maybe, which I I find really interesting. I mean, how do they feel about some of the other changes? Because I would wonder, like NASCAR does a lot of what they've done, like you were just explaining, for safety reasons. It's not for people like me, clearly. Yeah. But I wonder about, like, the choose rule. I really like the choose rule. I think that that's cool. But this is what I know. Like, I got in last year, so I hear all the time when I'm listening to NASCAR radio or or some of these drivers watching their interviews about not getting to qualify or not having the practice on the track. Like, that's really all I know. So I wonder how people feel about some of those things, too. Um, But for me, I I have found that the the shorter tracks – um, haven't been nearly as exciting, but I, but I also kind of go into those tracks feeling like we know which cars can contend and which can't. And I just naturally think that that is, you could say that about most places, right? Like mm-hmm. Quinn Hoff is not winning a race. Like we, we understand how this is <laughs> no. going to work, but I, I just think there is a more level playing field. And I think about it almost like I would the salary cap in football or in major league baseball with a team yeah. like the Tampa Bay Rays with a low payroll, being able to use analytics or something like I prefer to have the most cars legitimately have a shot. And if there's a racetrack where you have a better chance to win, I think that's a, a good thing for the sport. You know, if, yeah. if there's 27 cars that might win on a given day at a super speedway or something like that. I mean, Michael McDowell did it, you know, yeah. he wouldn't, he was never going to win a race. I mean, probably never going to win a race regardless. So I see what you mean there. That's crazy too. Like you've never seen practice or qualifying on, on a normal or what was a normal race weekend. That's crazy. And I remember it from back in the day. You know, like I said, it wasn't like I ignored racing. I know what it looks like. I've watched it casually. You've never been in it, you know? Yeah. As a fan, as someone that kind of craves information on the sport all week long, you're waiting and you're waiting. I haven't gotten into trucks on a Friday. I'm not Davey Siegel yet. but um, but Trucks is the best. You're missing out. Dude, I got to watch it. My my perception is just it's a big-ass truck, so it can't be that – exciting of a race but you're i so need wrong. to watch it you're so wrong trucks really? are the best because you got a mix of veterans that are in the truck series for life that have been yeah. in it for 10 15 years and then you got 18 year old kids who are working their way up so you have a dichotomy of like veterans that not necessarily are get off my lawn but they know what the hell they're doing and then do you have young that, drivers yeah. who are in the best equipment because they bring some money with them and they think they're hot shit and they're like pushing and beating everybody around. It creates a really, really interesting dichotomy. I love the truck series because, you know, it's not the best racing like purely because there's a lot of, you know, drivers that need to learn racecraft and aren't as experienced and aren't as skilled as Xfinity and Cup. But I love truck. Xfinity right now, I think, is like the best pure racing because of the package that they have. Yeah. But trucks is, is entertaining. One more thing. So. You mentioned the choose rule, right? And and the restarts. 
What if I told you, and I mean, you may know this, but up until, God, I think it was like the mid 2000s, restarts were single file. There was no yeah, double file restarts. At RIR, and I think that's insane. That's the Nuts. craziest thing I've ever heard. And so the, terrible. they would restart single file, but if you were a lap down, you would restart on the inside lane. So lapped cars would be in the mix with cars that were, you know, running inside the top five. It's it sounds ridiculous now to think about, you know. And that that it's unbelievable that that was a thing. And you I said know. until when? I think it was like the mid two thousands. NASCAR usually uses the All Star race as like a test session for certain things. The current package that they have, they tested it at the All Star race. Um, when they went to double file restarts, they tested that at the All Star race. Last year at the All-Star Race, they tested numbers that were slid back on the cars and some underglow. So they use it as like a test session to see if they should implement these changes moving forward. I, I mean, I watched barely when they had single file restarts, but like looking back on highlights from races in like the early 2000s and watching a restart, and I just think to myself, I'm like, oh my God, how, how did they do this for so long? But that's just the way it always was. And like, not to make it a huge thing, but like the Confederate flag and like the stances that they took, that's how it always was. And I think, you know, a lot of credit should go to NASCAR. All the credit should. Um, Steve Phelps is the president now. I'm sure you've heard his name a few times. Um, and Jim France is the CEO. I mean, their their mindset and thinking is drastically different of the regimes from the France family of the past 20 years since I've been watching. So there's just a lot of change that's been going on in a short period of time, and you're here for it. And there are going to be some folks, I'm sure, that have been ground floor NASCAR fans that don't love all the changes, mm -hmm. both on the track and some of the things that I think are progressive and necessary mm -hmm. and good, yeah. decent things. However, this to me is how you welcome people to the table. It's how Bingo. you grow your sport. You see Alvin Kamara. Uh, I had a buddy that bumped into him outside of a racetrack, and like he's had every single race. And he's How about Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan is an Pitbull. owner now of, of a car with Denny Hamlin, which is amazing. You can't tell me that's not good for this sport. Exactly. Uh, on top of that, I don't even remember the kid's name. There's a like a backup running back from the Bills who grew Antonio up. Antonio Williams Jr. Yeah, yeah, Williams. So he, he he grew up a huge fan. He's a minority owner of a team. You got Pitbull involved. Like these are folks that are powerful, influential people with voices that it's all good. Like to me, this is yeah. – how your sport thrives and grows and stays relevant and important. And if you lose a couple people along the way, I think the juice is worth the squeeze a to just do what's right, mm -hmm. but B more importantly uh, for the sports well-being, I guess less importantly in life, this is what has to happen. I think for the sport to thrive. And, and I think they're doing it correctly off the track and, and I've enjoyed it on the track as well. I could not have said it better myself. I'll just close by saying this. If they don't take the stances that they did over the summer, Michael Jordan's not in the sport. Pitbull's not in the sport. Antonio Williams Jr.'s not in the sport. You know, you may not still be. I don't know. You know, like it, it's a net positive all the way across the board. Okay. I see behind you. You got your Stanley sheet metal from Eric Jones's car last year. Beautiful. Love it. So tell everybody why you chose Eric Jones as your guy. Because, you know, people would say, oh, new fan coming in, Harvick, Hamlin, Chase Elliott, you know, Kyle Busch, whatever. Eric Jones is a little bit off the beaten path, and even more so this year in the 43, which I know you're not too happy about. So why'd you choose Eric? So 
I was going to get into NASCAR, and I knew that before the restart. And I did a segment on my radio show in D.C. where I asked people for their opinions on who I should choose as my driver. And I, I came up with a criteria, like somebody moving cross-country. You, you can work wherever you want. You can live wherever you want. What is your criteria? I want this I type it. of weather, whatever. So I came up with I wanted a younger driver like someone I could grow with who's got a bright future potentially and has mm -hmm. big days ahead of them. I want somebody who does not win a lot. Now that sounds funny, but I don't want to just be a bandwagon. Like my yeah. wife got in and picked Kevin Harvick. What are we doing here? Right. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people can see that he's going to win some races. Yeah. So I wanted to be like, if I'm joining an NFL team randomly, if I'm picking a team, I'm going to pick the Browns or whatever, like some up and coming team. Mm -hmm. So I said, I want this to be someone who has a chance to win a few races this year if things go right, but who's probably most weeks going to be riding somewhere in like the eight to 15 range. Okay. And then there were a couple other things, and I said, ideally, not doesn't have to be because I know this this waters it down, but ideally, I would like this driver to be like have been in the sport for four or fewer years or whatever. And so I got all these names back, and I was choosing between a few. And when it, I realized that Jones was a Joe Gibbs racing guy, and I'm a DC guy and a huge Washington football team fan, mm -hmm. and have met and talked to Gibbs numerous times over the years and love him, it was that was kind of the tiebreaker to be honest with you. Um, so I was debating between William Byron, uh, Alex Bowman, Eric Jones, and I think Matty D, Matt Benedetto. Those mm -hmm. were like the guys that it kind of came down to. And uh, Jones was my choice literally because he was with Gibbs Racing. He no longer is. So then I had the decision to make. Kind of backfired. with JGR and, and go with the 20 car and Christopher Bell, who's also an up-and-coming young guy? Or do I stick with Eric Jones and I wanted to show – that Jones boy, a little loyalty. So I rode with him to 43, you know, and it might not be as fun on, on Sundays this year. Yeah. Um, I might've taken Christopher Bell, but he like cut Jones's tire once and wrecked him another time. So I had a little bit of animosity toward wow, him. Oh, you never forget. No. Plus he, he he's taking my ride. So that's hard to, you know, all year long I'm rooting for Jones to do well. And then I find out he's out of his ride and it's yeah. hard to just go with the guy that took the ride. So I stuck with Jones, but it, that was the, the process, right? So I took some feedback and the people like heard my re requirements and they gave me some names knowing the sport now, like I knowing the drivers and personalities and things, I might pick somebody different only because mm -hmm. Jones is like super reserved. You don't really hear him talked about ever. He's not um, the he's most not charismatic person. guy. Yeah. What, what's that? He's not the most charismatic guy. No, no, he doesn't have like a huge personality or he's not that involved like social media. He, Plus, he's, he's a, a Michigan fan, so we hate that. Well, you hate that. I don't yes. mind that nearly as much as you do. <laughs> um, but I, I don't care about, you know, Michigan football one I way know, or the I other. Know. But yeah, so I, I'm riding with him. I'm sticking with him. I feel bad that he lost his ride. I also think that he, you know, last year had a lot of bad luck. And I thought that they made some changes to his crew or to the 20 car crew that are mm -hmm. better now. And I think he'd be much better off now, but that is sour grapes and whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, this is where I'm at. So I like the 43 Eric Jones, that Jones boy week in and week out. And there are other guys that I'll pull for. I'm a big Bubba Wallace fan. I want him to do well in that new 23 ride. I really want for the sport to see him win, win a race and, and mm -hmm. be running in the top five. I think that'd for be sure. good for everybody. Um, and I'll tell you who I'm all in on right now is Ty Gibbs. I get so steamed Dude. up. He, I mean, he looks 14 and he's out there <laughs> winning 
races at at high levels. It's incredible. So he, when he gets to NASCAR, which will probably be like tomorrow at this point, um, you know, when he gets to the highest ranks of NASCAR, I should say, to the Cup, um, you know, maybe he'll be my one seed. I don't know, but I'm I'm sticking with Eric Jones, and I'm hoping for the best. I, I want top 15s, and let's get as many top 10s as possible. I knew Ty Gibbs when he was 15, literally, and he hasn't changed. Like, like physically, he hasn't changed at all. He looks just as young. He looks like a baby. I couldn't believe when he got out of his car, and I knew I he was a kid. I, I mean, I know the story a little bit. But when he got out of his car after he won the Xfinity race a few weeks ago <laughs> and he took off his helmet, I was screaming. I was like, this is crazy. Like, my <laughs> wife's like, what is going on? I'm like, this is Joe Gibbs' grandson. Like, he's 18. Nuts. And she's, she's like, he's not it. That kid looks like he's in middle school. I'm like, he just won this race. It was, I know. Seeing him so emotional, too, was just so cool. Yeah. Um, you'll you'll probably see uh, you'll probably see Sam Mayer this year, who I've also known since he was, like, 15. Um, he's not 18 yet, so he has to wait until he turns 18, and then he's going to run for junior motorsports in Xfinity. He might win a race this year, too, and he looks just as young. So the future is here. That's nuts that these kids can be so young and so yeah. talented and so skilled. Obviously, they grow up around it. They got it in their blood. There's mm -hmm. something to that. You you grow up in the shop and you know at the track. I think that that's an immense benefit. Um, but, yeah, I, I really – I'm not as – as every lap all in on Xfinity as I am the cup series, but I watch every race, the majority of them and what Cedric's doing is unbelievable. I think the racing's really good. Like when you talked about the different package, you have way more knowledge and insight as to why it is, but watching it, I thoroughly enjoy the product. And you know what else I really like? I think this is brilliant from NASCAR is seeing the drivers call those races um, as they, as they groom these guys, you know, mm -hmm. I could tell, I didn't know anything about anything. And two weeks into the coverage last year, I could tell Clint Boyer was on his way to the booth. Yeah. Like the way they used him and interviewed him and talked to him. And he's great. He's been awesome. But like right now I've seen Logano and a couple of the other guys that have jumped into the booth. And I, I just think that that's, again, it's smart. It's good for the sport. It, it gives some importance and the credibility to Xfinity. It would be the equivalent of seeing like a big league star calling a triple A game. I just yeah. think it's a really neat idea. Yeah, I agree with you there. I also, for everybody listening that like may have seen the episode title, they're like, who's Grant Paulson? Uh, let, let me just spell this out for you. He pronounced Matt DiBenedetto's last name correctly. That's one. He dropped a Quinn Hauf. That's number two. And he knows all this knowledge about Ty Gibbs. He called Eric Jones by his proper nickname that Ken Squire gave him. That Jones boy. He texted me all last year about how he hates Chris Gale. Like, this man knows his stuff. Okay, so I hope you're I hope you're still listening and he gave him a fair shake because this man knows his stuff. He's all in, as he says. Chris Gale was a main source of my frustration <laughs> last year. And and I he's probably the nicest guy in the world. And mm -hmm. God bless him. I mean, he, he he got his. I think he got the win when Ty Gibbs was behind the wheel, actually, in Xfinity for that 54 not long ago. But there's a reason he was he was doing that at that level. I mean, yeah. I really think Jones last year got a, a raw deal, but I don't need to cry about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. He's got a new ride. He's got to find a way to get to 43 into victory lane. What does your wife think about the sheet metal sitting in the house? Is she a fan? As long as it stays in the basement, she is a big, big fan. Okay. I think. We can work with that. 
where I keep all of my sports gear. Funny thing is, so I bought this and I didn't tell her what it was. I just told her I just made a purchase. It's home decor and it's it's on its way. And it's home took, like, decor. To get here. And, she, and I have not done a single thing. We bought a new house during the pandemic and she designs and, and does everything in all the rooms and puts everything up. So she was like really interested to see what it was for weeks and couldn't wait. And then it comes and it's in this huge box and it's wrapped in all this plastic and you got to cut it open. And she just, I mean, she started shaking her head. She's like, this is out of control. Like, <laughs> and because this was like a month, maybe I ordered it a month in and it came like two or so months into my, you know, massive fandom. And she's like, you, you've lost it. Like, what are you doing? How much was this? Well, you but, posted yeah. on Instagram. You're like, I'm at the buying race car sheet metal stage of quarantine. Like that's relatable. <laughs> yes, no doubt. It was, uh, it was my best purchase of the quarantine, no doubt. And now it's, uh, it's the black and yellow, uh, Stanley. So it's, it's the old 20 car. I need to get something a little bit more up to date at this it's point. A throwback. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, last NASCAR thing, and then I just want to quickly touch on you and your career in general, because I think even for non-NASCAR fans, it's really intriguing. Um, Larry McReynolds, good friend of yours. Larry Max, my guy. So I, <laughs> when I started watching, I told you I loved Mike Joy, but yeah. there are a couple of guys that I, I don't know why I became so enamored with. And Larry Mack is one of them. So I do a Larry I'm Mack. enamored with him. What's that? I'm enamored with him. He's the great. He's great. Yeah, how could he not be? He is so smart. First of all, I think it's because of my lack of knowledge coming into this that, like, I learned so much when I watch these guys. Like, a, a casual football or basketball fan might get the same thing out of uh, Jeff Van Gundy or or Mark Jackson on a broadcast or, like uh, you Romo. know, Romo, right. Yeah. But for me, these guys speaking, it's like hearing Aristotle or something, breaking something down for the first time. But I do. I have this character that I do every Sunday morning. I've got a bunch of buddies uh, who like NASCAR, and I've I've dubbed him Grant Max. So I talk about the tracks, and I talk about um, I, it's basically all of my research from the week, you know. And, and sometimes I'll just drop one or two nuggets, and sometimes I'll do eight or nine videos. But uh, I kind of do a Larry Mack voice, and then I, I send my video out. So big big fan i think that his role like you have this right in football you might have a former coach or a player in the booth the former crew chief types like the guys who made the calls and were on you know <clears throat> looking under the hood to see what needed to be done or, or how many laps before we got to take this uh pit so we can get some fuel or whatever <clears throat> that to me is the most helpful part of the broadcast and i, I just love it when he's talking about you know his trends and Last 14 races, we've had six cautions in the last 10 laps. I I can't get enough of Larry Mack. I think he is the best. I think the one thing that Fox um, has greatly missed out on over the past couple of years is putting him back in the booth. And now it's hard because he got three people up there and he can't put a fourth. And they still use him on the broadcast. But back in the day, you know, Fox took over NASCAR race in 2001. And I think from 2001 until around like 2014 or so, maybe around there, he was in the booth and he's unbelievable. Like whenever he talks, as you know, like I can't stop listening. I mean, yeah. Sirius XM, he co-hosts a show every day from, I think it's one to three o'clock um, or maybe 11 to one. I forget, but like he, he's great. And I'm, I'm so glad you did the Grant Mack impression for the pod. Cause I was going to ask, but I didn't know if you wanted to let that, let that come out, but oh, I love it. I, whenever I get those on Sunday mornings, like, 
And you need to know, brightens my day. My girlfriend, like, she sees me looking at my phone. She's like, what? I'm like, Grant sent the video. And she's like, oh, God. It's racing day. Yeah, when I'm filming them, because, you know, like I said, sometimes it's one or two. Sometimes I'll do a bunch. Mm -hmm. But my wife can always hear me, you know, in another room. And it's like, just, oh, my God. You know, she just, I don't know if she's at least a little bit entertained by how much I'm into this <laughs> or just mostly annoyed. But like uh. I said, she does, she'll watch with me. She can't sit there and watch the whole race. And she thinks it's absurd that I do and can. Mm -hmm. But she'll watch the beginning. She'll watch the end. And she does. Uh, she, I think what she likes the most, honestly, is like the paint jobs on the cars and some of the sponsorships yeah. and, and things like that. Some of the stories. But, uh, yeah, it's I just think he's he's so sharp. Now, I'll say this from their standpoint, just thinking their perspective is probably they want the biggest name. So if you can get a Boyer who was just in a car. Or you can get a Gordon or whatever. You got to roll with that. Yeah. But they do include him, to your point. And he is an integral part of the broadcast. And same thing, listening to NASCAR on the radio is incredible to me how they have, it seems like they've got a guy in every turn and I don't know who who's producing that and how they're going from one to the next. It's just this well-oiled machine. Yeah. Um, and as a broadcast nerd who's into play-by-play -play and like loves listening to stuff like that, I'm really interested. Like I would love to sit in the truck and just watch how that all works. But um I think that they use him well. I don't think they can use him enough. I, I'd love to see more of him. But also, like, Jamie Little, you know, when they go down to the to the track and they get insight, you know, about cars coming into pit lane um, to, to get some adjustments made, I just think all of the roles that they've carved out, I could talk about that, just how sharp the broadcast is all yeah. day. I just, I think they do a great job. And NBC as well. I mean, they've, you know, it's it's no different. They've just got a different cast of characters. Yeah, we, we've talked about the broadcast a handful of times, too, because Fox has gotten really good over the past year or two. But, you know, I've been I mean, I work for them. So do you. But I've been a big NBC guy. And I mean, I love what they did with the broadcast as well. And a lot of a lot of fans, you know, they liked Fox, but they liked NBC a little bit better. But it seems like it may be swinging the other way. But regardless, TV partners, they do a great, great job. I cannot wait until things get back to somewhat normal and you and your wife can come to the track, go into the infield, walk around the garage, like actually experience it now that you have all this knowledge and this passion for it and your wife too, to a certain extent. I cannot wait until you guys can actually like be in it in it when things are somewhat normal because watching it on TV is one thing, watching it in the grandstands or the press box, another thing. You've been in the infield, so you know, but now that you have this, bigger appreciation for it you're gonna get blown away and so is your way i can't wait to see your guys reaction for that i gotta be there with you i i'm telling you man it's like i same i'm, I'm kind of just pumped thinking about it like it, it's one thing to do something it's like going out to eat and you're not that hungry versus like you're famished and you're at your favorite restaurant like, i love that's that the difference you know like yeah. i went out to eat before but I had eaten a little bit earlier and I was just like, yeah, I'll go with you guys. And I sat there and I picked at something, but now your boy is going to put on a show. Like <laughs> it's, there's going to be crumbs all over my shirt and I'm going to like unbutton my, my pants when I leave Al Bundy style. You went and you just got like a little appetizer, some tapas maybe. And now you're going full on all you can eat buffet. You're chowing down, baby. Exactly. I you love got it. it. All right, a few more things because your background is insanely interesting to me. Admittedly, I didn't know a whole lot about it, so I did some research last night prepping for it, and 
you know, the listeners may not know. Some may because if they're older, they may remember you. But you were a child broadcaster, pretty much. Like you were on the David Letterman show. You covered Super Bowls. I think it was in 2002 you went down there. You've interviewed people again, like as a kid, Rudy Giuliani, Paul Tagliabue, countless athletes across multiple sports. Like Letterman literally sent you to the Super Bowl. This is nuts to me. Um, so like, how did how did that begin for you? I think it was something that your uncle put you on a radio show and, you know, you ended up being really good at it. And clearly you made a career out of it. So you're doing something right. But go, take me back there and how that whole thing started for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I started uh, when I was 10. My uncle and I got into a huge debate about the Steelers and the then Redskins. And the debate was about a preseason scrimmage, not a preseason game, but like basically a joint practice scrimmage that they'd had a year earlier. And I was talking to him about how, you know, Washington had beaten Pittsburgh, which was his team. He was a big radio personality in Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. not a sports guy, but like a music DJ and one of the more popular DJs in in the history of the city, honestly, did a, a morning show that was super popular. And um, so we were just arguing. And I think he found it funny because I'm this 10-year-old kid and I remembered all the stats and the numbers and stuff. And, you know, you know, now I know as a radio guy, but like you're always thinking about show bits. And so in his mind, a light bulb probably went off like, this is a good bit to have this 10-year-old kid on, my nephew, to like break down games. And so he brought me on and he called me his sports bookie. And I would give him the odds on games and tell him who to bet on. So we did that for a few weeks. And the local newspaper where I lived in Virginia did a story on it. And then I started writing a little story in the local paper, the King George Journal. And then based on that, the Channel 9 in Washington, WUSA TV 9, did a story about me being on the radio and doing this little you know, column, so to speak, a terrible column, like 50 to 100, a couple sentences on sports, yeah. poorly written. And so then Channel 9 got a good response from their story, that a little four-minute piece that they put together. So they had me come up and do football picks on Fridays. So then I was, I was doing the calls to my uncle on Friday morning. I was doing football picks on Channel 9. And this is all, like I said, when I was 10 years old. So they w- got me a credential. And I went into the locker room to do interviews at Wizards game and Orioles opening day and went to you know Washington football team training camp with them. And, and that's kind of how it started. And I started to do these TV appearances and interviews for them. And then because it was CBS, that's a Letterman affiliate. That was kind of the big break. You know, Letterman's uh, production team called me and had me come up. So I actually ended up being lucky enough. It was an amazing thing to go on the Letterman show six times. Uh, and I went on from when I was 11 to when I was 17. I actually got sent up there seven times. And one time I got bumped, uh, which was my favorite experience in the history of Letterman. Because that day, it was the, the day before the Hall of Fame inductions um, that year for Major League Baseball in Cooperstown and they had 10 MLB hall of famers there to read the top 10 list. Wow. So it was guys like Bob Gibson and Bob Feller and some of the greatest players that's ever lived. And none, like they were all roaming around the hallway and they didn't have a dressing room. And I did. So they all came in my dressing room and sat on the couch <laughs> and like, we're telling stories and stuff. Wow. And then, they, yeah, it was the coolest thing ever, dude. And then they bumped me and they, which rarely happens, but like they ran out of time because Dave's a huge sports fan and surely you'd rather talk to these guys than like the kid that's waiting to go on. <laughs> so they ran out of time, but they felt so bad that they're like, we could send you to any show in the city and take you to any restaurant you want tonight. You know, we got a car. And so my dad who drove me or flew me up there, um, I was like, okay, I was a kid. I was, you know, less than 18. Uh, he's probably thinking about going to some awesome Broadway show and like a great restaurant. And I was like, you know, the Orioles are at Yankee stadium. And that was my squad. Cause there was no Nats, you know, my yeah. whole life. So, uh, so we, they drove us over with Gary Carter, by the way, 
uh, the former Hall, you know, great catcher, uh, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. And he and uh, his daughter and me and my dad rode over together to and sat together to watch um, the Orioles and the Yankees. And we had dogs at the game. But uh, but anyway, wow. that was the time I got bumped. But I uh, I coolest experiences ever from that, you know, real sports with Brian Gumble. Some other people did some stories and and kind of kept me in the media, I suppose. But I did. I got to go to the Super Bowl with Letterman. You mentioned I got to go to the Super Bowl at one point with ABC and be a part of their pregame coverage with uh, Berman and Tarico and Strahan and a bunch of those guys. So it was just one unbelievable experience after another. And, uh, and at some point I stopped being cute and interesting as a young person. And, and I stopped getting to do some of those cool things, but I uh, kind of kept grinding and, and went to college and, and knew I wanted to do that. And, uh, you know, I've worked my way to a point now where I get to talk about sports for a living. So that's always been the dream for me. It's a cool dream to have. So do you, did you like develop a relationship with Letterman at all? Do you still, because he actually, I mean, you didn't know back then, but like, he's a big racing guy. Like he owns a team in IndyCar. Yeah. So I I do know that I, I, we absolutely don't keep in touch in any way. The relationship we had was very good in that. uh, Number one, he was super spontaneous. Like he did not want to talk to guests before they came out on the show. And that's not just me. That's like anybody, you know, biggest guest he could have. So he also, after the show, like, doesn't really mingle. Like, he, he was notoriously famous for, like, being in and out and, like, not being overly personable or, or I don't think all that, like, um, jovial when it came to the guests or whatever. Mm-hmm. But a couple times he would come up and, like, shake my hand and say, that was great, we'll have you back. And I remember one time when he did that, he was leaving with his dog. His dog would always sit in, like, the makeup room. Uh, if I remember correctly, I'd say golden retriever, but I'm not sure if that's right. But – uh. He, he came up to me and he's like, you know, that was so like, that was great. That was really, really well done. Like, we'll definitely have you back on. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I didn't think anything of it. And like the, the person like taking up my top, my makeup was like, that's I, I, like, I have not seen that. Like, you're definitely coming back. Like, that was a big deal. So like we in that way during the breaks, he was always really, really friendly. And you could tell a he liked kids. And that was a big part of his show reoccurring where he would interview you know, the kid that knew all the presidents or, you know, someone who did a funny trick or yeah. whatever. And now as a father, you can see how much he loves his son. I don't know if you watch his Netflix special, mm-hmm. um, but uh, he, he clearly was like enamored by kids. And, and that was part of our rapport, I think. And he's a huge sports fan to your point on racing. But I mean, he is a huge sports fan. So he really like whether it was me or other people he'd have on, he liked t- talking sports on his show. Yeah. So what happened was a lot of the time, I would kind of be on standby and I don't know if it was him or a producer or what, but if something was going on in sports and someone canceled, they'd say, you know, get that kid. And so like, so-and-so has a concert that got pushed back a day and now they're not going to be in New York. We would get calls a lot of the time the night before, Hey, can you be on tomorrow? In fact, one time I got a, uh, a call. I was sleeping in, it was the summer and it was like, almost 11 o'clock and my parents are at work, you know, summer, what are you, you're not doing anything. It's hot outside. You're just sleeping. And, and the phone keeps ringing and my dad comes home and he's home for lunch and he like answers the phone and comes upstairs. He's like, you want to go on Letterman tonight? And I'm, I mean, it was literally like 1130 and they tape at 530 in New York and I'm in Virginia. So driving, we wouldn't have made it. And I'm like, sure. Why not? And he's like, we got like, we have to leave in five minutes. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to wear? Like what's going on? So like we flew to the airport and uh, got on a plane. They drove us straight to the, you know, Ed Sullivan theater and, 
And like, I'm walking in as, you know, they're starting the show and I'm not on for a couple blocks, but um, that was kind of the relationship it was like, wow, who knows who canceled that day. But one of the cool things about it, Davey, was I got to meet a lot of cool celebrities like uh, LL Cool J and Kristen Davis from Sex in the City and some of the guest stars like Julian Moore, the actress that were there the nights I was there to be able to say that you met them or, you know, uh, shook hands and, and said yeah. hello to them. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. There's some really cool guests the nights that I was on. That's sweet. And you did this all when you were 10 to 16, you said? Yeah, so Letterman specifically, I think my first show was like 11 and my last show was 17. But yeah, that I kind of started with all the sports stuff at 10. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it's wild to look back on. It was looking back, it makes no sense. It's like, I don't <laughs> know why they would have taken the time to invest energy or time into me, but I'm glad, glad that they did. I uh, I got into YouTube rabbit hole last night and I was watching some of your like Super Bowl segments and stuff. Yeah. You were the cutest kid. I mean, uh, the the cheeks. You know I've never seen redder cheeks than you at 11 years old. I got to say that. How about the bowl cut? Bowl cut. That was, was great good. too. I mean, yeah. love the bowl cut. You had a good you had a good bit going. What happened to you? You're not cute anymore. I know you grow up, you get a little hair on your face and uh, you find out how good fast food tastes and you're able to drive there. And then a lot of things change for you. But yeah, that we did have a good thing going for a little while. It was a good run, yeah. run for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Last thing. Uh, when I was reading up on you, you told a really, really funny story too. Uh, both at the Super Bowl, I think. Can you please tell the listeners about the Franco Harris and Joe Montana autograph story? And then also when you ask the cheerleaders to the dance. Yeah. So, uh, so the first one, the week of the Super Bowl with the Letterman show, which was Super Bowl 36, which was the Bucks, excuse me. No, it was the, the Patriots and the Rams. So it was Brady first Super Bowl. He won against Kurt Warner. Uh, that week, the entire week, it was a CBS broadcasted game. So we had unfettered, unbelievable access with the Letterman show. And uh, so we were we did whatever we want. We went to all these events and what have you. So that, uh, it was me, my parent, who had to be with me as a guardian. And then um, like three joke writers and like an audio and, and camera guy. Like that was the crew all week long. But I walked around with three joke writers from Letterman just doing bits with like NFL celebrities. So it's the dream. One of them was that that went over pretty well was I went up on a stage after an event that had a bunch of the greatest players ever. Right. And I go up on the stage and the two guys on the stage were Joe Montana and Franco Harris. Doesn't get and bigger a than ton that. Of people around. What's that? Doesn't get bigger than that. No, you can't do better than those two, huh? So there's a ton of people around watching and I go up and I have a little notebook, like a, you know, reporter notebook kind of, uh, you can flip over and write in. And I said, Hey guys, how about an autograph? And they're like, Oh, sure. No problem. So I take out the notebook and I flip it open and then I go to start writing and I say, who do I make it out to? <laughs> and I, Montana loved it. Like the, both of them were chuckling and laughing, but I remember Montana, like putting his hand on my head, like thinking it was the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. But I, I, I thought it, it was moderately mortifying for me because I'm like <laughs> being this smart ass, you know, jerk to these two players whose highlights I've right. memorized. Um, but looking back now, the humor is obvious and it's very, very funny. Yeah. And there were a lot of things like that. You know, we, we uh, did a, one of my favorite bits was, 
we had a bunch of people um, saying that the word, the name Tagliabu, the commissioner at the time was Paul Tagliabu. Yep. How many times can you say Tagliabu in 30 seconds? And visually it was great because it was this who's who of, you know, NFL Hall of Famers and, and Super Bowl MVPs saying Tagliabu, 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 Tagliabu with a counting clock up to 10. And then at the end, you see Paul Tagliabu doing it. And he's like, did I win? Did I beat Desmond Howard? So that was a great one That's as great. well. Um, those were particularly special. The cheerleader thing was uh, I got all the cheerleaders from the Patriots around me. And I'm standing there. And I, uh, I shouted out the girl that uh, wouldn't go to the seventh grade dance with me. And I said, who's sorry now, huh? Now, unfortunately, <laughs> that girl was not a real person. I didn't want to embarrass anybody at school. Oh, I definitely wow. should have used that to my advantage a little bit more looking back in seventh grade and shouted yeah. out a girl that I liked or something. There were a couple of options, but I didn't <laughs> want to embarrass anyone on national TV. So I, yeah. I used my mom's maiden name, actually. Oh, really? Interesting yeah. choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know, I can't embarrass anyone. I'll just, I'll use... Uh, my mom's maiden name. No one will know the difference. So that's uh, that's what I went with. That's great. I lied. Last question. Where were you for George Mason's magical final four run? Because as you said, that's where you went to school. And I remember it like it was yesterday almost. Dude, senior in high school. And I knew I was going there already. Oh, that's great. School. Yeah, yeah. I just, I almost said declared like I'm an athlete or something. Uh, <laughs> there's, there was no hats that I put on. I, had, no. I decided I was going there, I don't know, a few weeks before that. And so one of the games, I want to say it was the Elite Eight game, might have been their Final Four loss to Florida. I don't remember which. I went to the campus with a buddy of mine, and it was so funny because, uh, you know, there's a huge building in Fairfax, Virginia, on campus called the Johnson Center. And it's this massive, like, four-level building in the, in the uh, atrium. And everyone's hanging over all the, the railings and watching. They brought in this movie theater-sized screen. But I remember that night, you know, going to parties in different dorm rooms and everything and thinking this place is so wild. Like this is where I'm going to college. This is going to be the craziest experience of my life. Make the final four every year. Right. And, and I'm telling you like, and I really thoroughly enjoyed Mason. It was a good education. I was there for, you know, four years and some change or whatever, but uh, there was never a night like that. The rest of my experience <laughs> no. in terms of, you know, the party or how wild it was or how excited people were, or how many people were on campus. I mean, it was just such a tease, but the, the tournament run itself was incredible. And knowing I was going to go there was almost as good as, as being a student there, even though I was still not yet in college. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, 06, I guess, because that was a senior year 06. Right. Right. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, dude, thank you for your time. This is awesome. Uh, I really liked your perspective on just everything we talked about earlier in terms of the sport and NASCAR being a, a newfound fan. So we got to end. Give me some analysis. Do you have some early maybe championship four picks? Any surprises that you think we're going to see throughout the season? Some Eric Jones analysis where you think he may end up in the points this year? Yeah, I would say that so far, I think the guy that's impressed me the most is Kyle Larson. Mm -hmm. um, I did not see him last year, obviously, because he had made a really bad decision and uh, made a huge mistake. So I didn't see him race. I had heard so much about him. I did some reading on how much success he was having away from NASCAR. Yeah, but I've been blown tracks. away by him. I think that he is uh, really impressive and is is going to be a contender uh, this year as we go on. I think your your mainstays. You know, Denny Hamlin is not going anywhere. I mean, he's going to be one of the final four guys standing. 
I guess if I had a, a sleeper the rest of the way or someone that I'm interested in that I think, you know, could make some moves, uh, that Jones boy in the 43 card. No, I'm just I honestly, you know, it pains me to say it a little bit, but I like what Christopher Bell's got going. I think he's in a good spot. I think he's confident getting an early win this season gives you some opportunities to do some things as a driver and as a crew to get creative because you know you're getting into the playoffs that I think are going to benefit them immensely. So those are a couple of guys that that I'm intrigued by, but you know, Harvick's going to bounce right back. I mean, it's been a slow start to the year by his standards. I I think he's going to be one of the, the last four guys standing probably as well. Um, and I, I'm just curious to see some of the new faces and new places, like when they start to get comfortable and yeah. and turn the corner a little bit. Yeah. Well, man, this is great. Uh, just I hope that people understand your passion and your knowledge for this stuff, because as you said, you know, when you do something, you go in full bore, you go out the deep end. And I think that came across in this interview. So I thank you for that. And I think the fans will find that very, uh, very entertaining and interesting to listen to. So. I'm glad we got to do this, and uh, I'm glad. I think we proved you wrong because you said you didn't know what you could add to this. You added plenty, my friend. This is great. I don't know if that's true. Like I said, I I, I was moderately uncomfortable with the request, but I'm I'm thrilled <laughs> that uh, we did it. And I'm as I said, I'm a fan of the podcast. I think you do a really good job, and uh, I've been enjoying listening. And I'm looking forward to uh, race weekend again. But I I have to say one more thing before we go, please. Back to you, Doof. Perfect place to end it. I love it. And we're back. Told you that was fun, guys. I mean, little did you know that this man is on David Letterman all the time. Uh, Made jokes with Joe Montana, Franco Harris, and he's 10 years old. Nuts. It's nuts. I want to have him back to talk more about his career, even though it's not NASCAR-centric, because that stuff's fascinating to me. So, Grant, I know you're listening at this point. I thank you for coming on, man. Really appreciate uh, you carving out the time and also your support because uh, I know you listen to the show as well. So shout out to you. Back to you, dude. I love it. Let's briefly preview Atlanta Motor Speedway this upcoming weekend. Long race. Long, long, long race. 500 miles, 325 laps around the very abrasive, gravel-like one-and-a-half-mile track surface. Kevin Harvick won this race last year. But notably, this marks the one-year anniversary of when the world and NASCAR shut down because of COVID-19. You guys remember, they said, we're going to go ahead with Atlanta. No fans are going to be there. Uh, They're not going to qualify or practice for the truck race. They're going to line them up and race. And everybody's like, what? They're going to do that? It's crazy. And then as things kept, you know, progressing, it was quickly realized that they were not going to be able to have this race and not for a while. So they ended up postponing the entire weekend and Obviously, everything followed suit from there. But, man, part of me is like, wow, it feels like yesterday. And part of me is saying, God, that feels like 20 years ago. But I'm sure you guys probably fall somewhere in the middle. Let me know what you think. I'm intrigued to see your guys' thoughts. Austin Sindrick, he won the Xfinity race last week, defending champ, obviously. He's in the field. Going to be his first 500-mile race of his career. That's a pretty big deal, I'd say. And I talked about this a lot with Mike Neff on the Front Stretch podcast this week, so... As always, when you're done listening to this episode, go download, subscribe, rate, and review to that one. But Kevin Harvick, if if he does not have a Harvick-like performance this weekend, I think it's officially cause for major concern. Because not only did he win this race last year, but he is so much better at running the low line, saving his tires, than anybody else in the circuit. And if he's not able to do that, run up front, contend for stage wins, playoff points, and win the race... 
again, not not I'm not saying if he doesn't win, there's cause for concern. If he doesn't have a contending vehicle to win, then you got to start looking inwards a little bit more because that will be a problem. So he's definitely going to be running up front. Truex is going to be solid off his win. So is JGR. Brad Keselowski, Team Penske, always solid at this place. The veterans are going to show up and show out because it's a lot about tire conservation. His surface chews them up, spits them out. If you run one lap on green flag conditions, you're going to pit again for tires if a caution comes out. That's how abrasive this track is and how much tires matter. 13 sets this weekend, as Mike Neff told me. So anytime there's a caution, you're going to pit for four fresh good years. Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time on Fox Sports 1. Trucks and Xfinity also in action. Going to be a doubleheader on Saturday as well. Looking forward to that all weekend long from Hotlanta. Lug nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Suspensions handed down post-Phoenix. Jeremy Bullins, crew chief for Brad Keselowski and Travis Mack for Daniel Suarez were both suspended for two loose lug nuts. That means Grant Hutchins and Jose Blasco are going to be crew chiefing in the interim for those two drivers. I believe Blasco is the first Hispanic crew chief in Cup Series history. I may be wrong on that, but I saw a Jenna Fryer article from the AP. So if that is the case, congratulations to Mr. Blasco, breaking barriers. Also fined $10,000 were Rudy Fugel, Matt McCall, and Ben Bayshore crew chiefs for one loose lug nut post-Phoenix. Martin Truex Jr. is going to compete in the Bristol Dirt Truck Race for Kyle Busch Motorsports with Auto Owners Insurance as a sponsor. Revealed that in the post-race Zoom. It was funny. As I mentioned, Austin Sindrick is going to run the cup race this weekend, second of his career. NASCAR held a next-gen test at Richmond Raceway earlier this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, but only Wednesday because it rained on Tuesday. Bubba Wallace was the driver. Alsco will continue their sponsorship of Richard Childress Racing with Tyler Reddick and Myatt Snyder for multiple races this next season. Sirius XM is going to sponsor Christopher Bell in four events at Atlanta, Richmond, Road America, and Bristol. Tubi will sponsor Chip Ganassi Racing for Atlanta and Richmond on both the 1 and the 42. Martinsville, Sonoma, Pocono, Darlington, all expecting to host fans at 50% capacity or under. That is great news. Hopefully things keep trending in a positive direction. Spire Motorsports and Corey LaJoy are going to have the NFL alumni in Folds of Honor on the number seven car this weekend. Stuart Friesen is going to make his Cup Series debut in Bristol on the dirt race for Spire Motorsports in the 77. And his wife, Jessica, is going to run in the truck race with him. That's awesome to see. NASCAR is going to use dogs to check people entering the garage for COVID-19 with 360 K9 Group. Interesting strategy there. Auto Trader signed a multi-year extension with Team Penske to sponsor Keselowski and Logano. LeBron James has been added as a partner of the Roush, not Roush, but Fenway Sports Group, which owns Roush Fenway Racing. So technically LeBron is an owner of NASCAR, which is nuts to think about him and MJ. Crazy. Georgia Peanut Commission is sponsoring Anthony Alfredo this weekend. WinBet launched a mobile app in Virginia. They are the official gaming partner of NASCAR. Overton's is sponsoring Sheldon Creed, Parker Kligerman, and Nice Motorsports this weekend. LiftKitsForLess.com is joining Hill and MBM Motorsports for Bristol and Darlington. Kyle Larson's also going to run the Bristol Dirt Truck Race for Nice Motorsports. Ryan Newman's going to do the same, attempting to qualify. And so is Mike Marlar for Hill and MBM Motorsports. A lot of lug nuts this week, but that means things are just continuing to heat up 
in the NASCAR world. But things are cooling down on Victory Lane for this week. That's all the time we have for you today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I say it all the time and it sounds trivial, but your time's valuable to me. So I appreciate you carving out a lot of it each and every week for this specific show. I put my all into it and I think it's worthy of your time. So if you think that as well, if you haven't already, leave a rating and a review to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast player of choice, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get it should be there for you. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm telling you, next week, carve out a little bit more time, grab a nice drink, some snacks, plug it in in your earphones when you're working out on a walk, something, because God, it's my favorite conversation to date and the guests that I have wanted to have on more than anybody. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Until next time, stay safe, stay inside, keep washing those hands, get vaccinated, and I'll catch you on the flip side.